Welcome back to another episode of the Root and Rise podcast. I'm your host, Brienne, and I am here to plant some seeds of insight, help you water them with love, and send you off with a little extra light to help you root and rise. Today's seeds of insight come in the form of a powerful discussion on expressing yourself and using your voice. I have a very special guest by my side today, Stacy Ann Parrish. Stacy is a storyteller, producer, educator, and host of the Full Spirals podcast, a storytelling podcast that promotes hope and healing through the arts and life's little coincidences that lead to personal growth. Oh, and she's an inspiration. So of course I fell in love with her podcast and that's exactly where I met her. I was honored to be a guest on her project. I'm speaking a very powerful project to amplify the voices of women But more importantly than that, I was also an avid listener of that series, and then a listener of the next, the Sages series, which is a tribute to the voices of elder women, individuals who embody the wisdom and insight gained from their rich life experiences. I will be sure to link her podcast and my episode in particular for you to listen to next. It's my recommendation for the day. If we have learned anything in a post-Barbie movie world... It's that women's voices are so incredibly important to listen to, and their stories need to be heard. Their experiences are not only valuable, but necessary to learn, grow, and strengthen ourselves as a community. You, your voice, and your stories are just as important. But expressing yourself and using your voice can be a really scary thing to do. I think a lot of us can relate to that, especially if you identify as a woman, and maybe even more so if you're in another marginalized community or have experienced trauma yourself. I was inspired listening to Stacy talk about overcoming her own fear of using her voice to go on and win a very intimidating women's storytelling contest. I knew her wisdom would help you too. So that is right where we're going to begin the interview. The thing that really stuck out to me when you were talking about it was you were saying, if I told my story, I already won. Mm. And another thing that I really related with was feeling like you didn't belong there. Really love to hear more about that because when you were telling me that part of the story, I just, I could feel like five different versions of myself all come out Mm -hmm. and just say, oh yeah, me too, me too. Mm Mm-hmm. So the piece about not feeling like I belong, that is the, that's our old friend, the imposter syndrome, who, you know, rears its ugly head whenever something important is about to happen. Whenever we are nudged from the inside and something that really needs to be brought forth into the world, there's always that little imposter that says, don't say that. You you don't have the right to say that. Um, who do you think you are? All of that, even though you're prepared, you're qualified, you were invited. That's the thing about the storytelling. Like I was invited, literally, I was was invited to take part in that contest and, um, nominated even. Yes. And I had, I had every right to be there. I, but you know, that little voice was still like, yeah, but who do you think you are? You've only been storytelling for a year and look at these giants in the storytelling community. What, and you don't even know any, and you're in this totally different state entirely by yourself. And what are you doing? What are you even doing? What do you, who do you think you are? You know, and then um, that beautiful story by the storyteller Mo Reynolds came out uh, about that exact thing. Literally the story she told was about how she didn't feel 
like she belonged in the storytelling community when she first started. And I was welcomed by this other lovely, lovely storyteller named Sheila Arnold, who put her arm around me and said, if you would like to not be by yourself anymore, you may come sit up with me. And she she just had this lovely presence. And I I felt safe. I've, and it was a women's storytelling festival, which really helped. So I felt... I felt like it was okay to be vulnerable there. It was okay to not feel safe, say I didn't feel safe, and then I allow myself to slowly be brought into the fold where I could feel safe. And that's exactly what happened. Wow, consider just being okay with not feeling safe, you know, like knowing logically that like you're physically safe, mm -hmm. but just allowing yourself to sit in that vulnerable, raw, and unsafe feeling, but still pushing through it. Mm-hmm. Do you feel, I know a big piece of that was the community and these other storytellers and women mm -hmm. turning back to you because they've experienced it and giving yes. you what they needed in that moment. Yeah, exactly. That's just so powerful. And with women too, just to go down that road, I there's so much conditioning that keeps us from wanting to speak out and speak our truth and speak loudly and proudly and mm -hmm. just to have a safe space surrounded by people who you know have dealt with those same barriers and are telling you that it's okay. That's really beautiful. But I also don't want to dismiss the fact that there was a there was something inside of you that had to push through that because people on the outside can give you external validation all day long and you can credit them for that. But mm -hmm. also like, what was it inside of you? What were you telling yourself or what were you doing in that moment to get yourself ready to step on stage and be. So I, I am somebody who really, I mean, some people would call me woo woo, whatever, but I just, I really follow the signs. I follow the signs and I knew that I was safe because it was a women's storytelling festival. So foundationally, I knew I was safe. I also knew that what I had to say was important for other women to hear and that there is a little person inside of me who got silenced a long, long time ago. And she's the reason I do this work. And I obviously carry her with me everywhere I go and I do it for her. So I knew it was going to, on some level, I knew it was going to be okay. And the signs came, right? I was welcomed. I was literally held. And then somebody told a story virtually saying exactly what I was going through. So I just knew, like, I, I'm, a, I'm a big truster in the universe. And I just believe that whatever is in front of me is what's supposed to be in front of me. And I make my decisions in the moment. And I just knew Mm -hmm. I just knew and I wept. I mean, that's the other thing. I'm I, I'm woo-woo and I'm weepy. <laughs> <laughs> woo-woo and weepy. I love that's it. Me. I'm a Pisces. <laughs> oh, that's why we get along so that's, well. <laughs> hey, there you go. <laughs> I love that a lot. I so when you're talking to the younger version of yourself inside that's really struggling with imposter syndrome. I know for me, when I'm parenting myself, at least, I kind of have to separate myself from it. If, mm -hmm. if I'm in one of those really vulnerable, raw positions, I have to think of like my own child or a child or, you know, some innocent being that I won't argue with mm -hmm. any facts of the inner critic in my brain. What advice would you give to somebody who is afraid to tell their story or who is 
feeling like their story doesn't matter. It's funny because perspective, you tell me that you got invited to this contest and I'm like, oh, of course, that makes sense. <laughs> She's a phenomenal storyteller, of course. And for you, you know, it's it was hard for you to see. But I think about when I first started my podcast and not knowing how to even show up in the world. And what kind of advice would you give for somebody who is feeling like they don't even have a spot at the table. Yeah. You just brought up two of my favorite things. One is parts work, inner child work, and the other is giving ourselves permission to create and not care about the end product. So as far as inner child work and parts work, that whole journey had to start with an apology. Ooh. Um, for me, I mean, I needed Ooh. to hold that little girl and let her be angry about the abandonment, about all the decisions I made without considering her and silencing her myself mm -hmm. and um, and letting her know, girl, that is never happening again. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, screwing that up and abandoning her and then having to say no. So. So, uh, okay, little girl, I'm human. And I said never, and I didn't mean never, but please know. And that whole thing had to start with an apology and establishing trust with her. And, and I have that now I have that now. And part of the, part of the way I got that, and I know you'll understand this was by giving her a voice, mm -hmm. literally letting her speak and quit yapping at her and ask, what do you need right now? What do you need right now? What can I do for you? And I'm so, I'm not only sorry for not listening to you, I'm so sorry for everything that happened to you and how you got into this position to begin with. And as far as what I would say to other people who are struggling with imposter syndrome, the biggest thing that always comes to mind is you're not alone. You're not unique in this. We all have that voice. And I have this kind of, it's not a motto, but it's, it's sort of, it's a philosophy that I've been living with probably since 2009 is the first time I can remember really using it. If fear is my only reason for not doing something, that's not a good enough reason. It's just fear. Mm -hmm. I have enough resources inside of me and around me that, I mean, who cares? Mm -hmm. <laughs> who cares? Which I know is really easy to say. But so the other thing I would say is like, start small, mm -hmm. start small, take that. one risk. Yeah. That was really great advice. Thank you. Uh, yeah. I'm, <laughs> I'm really passionate about that. No, I, I know. I can tell. And I, I love that. I think that's one of the things that really drew me to you. I know when I first started using my voice, I didn't even know what it felt like. So I kind of want to explore what it feels like to use it and what it feels like to not, because sometimes I need to know the opposite before I can understand. Sure. Sure. Well, I mean, if you don't mind going way back, I'll go way back ah, to the... It. This is a story I tell in my podcast. The episode is actually, it's called West Side Spirals, but it's about the initial and the original silencing. And it happened, you know, when I was really, really little. I'm a complex trauma survivor. I'm a sexual abuse survivor. One of my perpetrators was my dad. Another was my brother. And I repressed those memories because of the way I grew up. And my job was to stay quiet. And I, you know, now that I am on the other side of that, I recognize that I'm a force of nature. Like I just am. I think all people are, but I was particularly precocious and, and boisterous and vivacious and just out there living my life. And that needed to not be true that I needed to be because if I got out there, I might tell 
mm-hmm. what was going on. And then the West Side Spirals episode kind of talks about how these repressed memories surfaced and when they surfaced. But if I can flash forward, I was in my 30s when these memories came back. And I, I had a second silencing and a second trauma happen because I didn't know what to do with these memories. I didn't know I didn't know what to do. And my therapist suggested that I start by sending a letter to my parents and let them know what I was going through because we were having this distance. And what I got back from them was a letter from their attorney um, representing the False Memory Syndrome Foundation because the um, assertion was that I was crazy and I was making all this up and also that my therapist was planting these memories in my head. So I got that letter and then I got a letter that they wanted me to deliver to my therapist, which I did not. But the other thing they did was they sent videotapes propaganda, basically videotapes from the False Memory Syndrome Foundation to my then husband's employer, his family, his friends. And all of these videotapes were propaganda talking about how I was a victim of bad therapy. I was delusional. And could any of these people please team up with my parents to help bring me back home? So that's where, so it was like that silence. And then as soon as I discovered my voice in a really, really important, profound way, I was double gaslit and double silenced. So it took me many years to get my voice back. And and ironically, I need to throw this in because this is an ironic piece. I was literally using my voice at that time because I was a professional broadcaster. That's so fascinating to be using your voice and learning to use or trying, you know? Yes. Yes. Those two things happened at the same time. And I'm just putting that, Brianne, this is really important. I'm just putting that together <laughs> right now. I That was a that's, sign at the time. That's crazy. That is crazy. And what a beautiful, I know, like with my podcast, that makes sense that that would be a part of learning to use your voice. Sometimes I have an easier time talking outside of myself and talking Mm -hmm. about, you know, subjects that are important to me or interesting, but that aren't vulnerable. Mm-hmm. and just practicing yeah. speaking loudly. Yeah, I had never put the timeline together before. I put together that I got my voice back before I got my voice back, if you know what I mean. Yes, yes. But um, <laughs> I, I never put the timeline together that those two things happened at the same time. That's gorgeous. That's a whole nother full spiral story. Yes, it is. Right? Totally. And it was another two decades, close to another two decades before I started telling. When I started my podcast, that's when I started telling, really. That's when I started bringing it out into the world and and naming naming it. What did that shift feel like for you? Because it seems like you you can tell the exact moment and you know it seems like maybe you took some of the power back. That's kind of what my podcast was. It was a place I can control, a place that was is safe and a place that I have power in. And so I'm curious mm-hmm. like that is a very profound moment that stands out to you. What did yes. that shift feel like for you? Well, ironically, it was during the pandemic mm-hmm. and I wrote a poetic memoir. I joined this challenge to, you know, how we were all like baking yes. bread and doing all this. Like I'm I did a writing challenge too. Did you? <laughs> yeah. So I did this. It was called a poetic memoir chapbook challenge. And you were to write uh, a poem each day for like 12 days. You needed to, I don't remember what it was, but anyway, you had, you ended up with like 15 poems in the end. Mm-hmm. And if you completed the challenge, you had the opportunity to have it published. So publishing that book was like moving the first rock out of the way in the cave for me Mm -hmm. to come out. And it was, how did it feel? It was terrifying. It was terrifying. So you did it written first. I did. 
I didn't know that. I did. And it, it made my, it made my stomach hurt. Yeah. So there was that. And then the other thing was I sort of gave myself a writing challenge during the pandemic too. I was studying with Natalie Goldberg, who mm -hmm. wrote Writing Down the Bones, like literally studying with her. I was taking a six week class or whatever. And one of the things she says in Writing Down the Bones is that she filled one notebook a month and that was kind of a good guidepost. Wow. So I was like, all right, if she can do that, I can do that. And yeah. so I ended up in 10 months, I had 10 notebooks and in those 10 notebooks are full spirals. That's where Full Spirals was born. Oh, I love that. Yeah. So by then, by the time I, how did that feel? By the time I did that, that felt amazing. That felt amazing. But each, you probably can relate to this. Like each episode is like a new baby and a new birth. Yeah. So each time you're kind of like, oh, and then, oh, yep. okay. <laughs> it is too, because yeah, each episode has its own energy and its own life and its own mm -hmm. message and yeah. Well, in my first season, that's what my whole first season is, is me telling my stories of hope and healing mm -hmm. through the arts, because I am so struck by the similarities between the healing process and the creative process. Yes. I know recently I saw your event that you're hosting, Empowered Lines, and you're mm. talking a lot about how you use art for healing. And yeah. I... I'd really love to hear about that. I think there's so much expression and hearing you talk about mm. using your voice in all of these different ways that weren't actually using your voice. You know mm -hmm. the difference? You were doing your broadcasting, you were writing, you were doing art, all of these other forms that were trying to come out of you before yes. you could actually start talking and telling your truth. I hope that somebody listening to this episode will go and do something creative afterwards, even if mm -hmm. it ends up being tossed in the trash because it wasn't that exciting. It's the expression, I think, that holds a lot of value. And if you can create something to put up on the wall, that's beautiful. But I would love for you to lean into just the process and the expression mm -hmm. that is released through art. The other thing that I did during the pandemic, I have a, a Facebook page that people are welcome to join. It's called Kindred as in kindred spirits. And I created it because of exactly what you just said. People are exiled from the island of art and creativity at a very young age for whatever reason, mostly because it takes so much vulnerability to create something that if somebody says something about what you made or says you're not the creative or compares you to somebody else, you're not the creative one, she's the creative one or he's the creative, whatever, for whatever reason, people get exiled from the island of creativity. I started these the kindreds page. So that's what that is. It's a safe space for people to be in a creative space with other people and they can just lurk or they can post something they're working on or they can gather inspiration. And what I started doing during the pandemic was kindred create-alongs. So once a month, I would hold space, bring whatever you want. I don't care what you make. I don't care if you don't make anything at all, but just come and we're just going to hang out. There's no stakes. The stakes, they're, not only are they low, there's no stakes. There's no stakes at all because we don't carve that kind of time out for ourselves. But I don't, I don't really have time to do that anymore. So I created this Empowered Lines workshop, which is basically the same thing. I walk people through their barriers, whatever those barriers are, and the stakes are super low. It's a process and not a product. So I, I offer them this practice, and I may start doing this online too. If there's enough demand for it, I may start doing it online. But it's I teach them a process for taking a struggle or something they need peace with, pulling it out of their mind onto paper, transforming it, and then you end up with a piece of art. 
And it's also the practice piece of it. The same neurons that light up in your brain when you're meditating light up when you're being creative, anytime you're engaged in a creative activity. So it literally is meditation. You literally do escape the moment and get deep down into presence. So what's what could be bad? And who cares what it looks like? Who cares what it looks like? A big part of the creative process is looking at something and, and feeling like, oh, that's not the way I wanted it to be and working through that and making it something that you want to be. And what a beautiful analogy for living your life. And the other thing that happens, Brianne, is that people, humans, all people, they approach anything the way they approach everything. So sitting down at that piece of art, if you're hard on yourself, if you have perfectionistic tendencies, if you rush, whatever it is, that's how, if that's how your life is, <laughs> that's how you're going to approach your art. That's the other thing we work through. And I just, I just create this super safe space where it's a very much whatever. I, I just say, who cares? Who cares? Yeah. Nobody's grading this. Yeah. Nobody, you know, burn it when you're done because maybe what's in there is nothing but yuck. Who cares? Yeah. And maybe cares? the burning is part of the therapeutic process. Exactly. Exactly. Oh, okay. You just blew my mind and like, I don't know, you just saw my face like, whoa. Talking about <laughs> art and meditation, that really, meditation is something I've always struggled with because I mm. can't shut my thoughts off. And I yes. know that you're not supposed to really be able to. It's just about compartmentalizing and allowing them to leave you and... Right. That's so hard. I think anybody who's tried meditation, especially in the beginning, or if you take a break and come back to it, you have to relearn it and yep. get in the practice. But I immediately thought about when I'm doing art, my thoughts are quieted because I'm so focused on trying mm -hmm. to, you know, get the color right or stay within the lines or whatever it is I'm focused on. And I just, that just blew my mind. I'm like, that actually might work better for me as a form of meditation because I, mm -hmm. I can't seem to quiet those thoughts. Yeah. So anybody who's interested in potentially taking a workshop collaboration like this, leave a comment because now you have. Yes, please do. I would inspired. <laughs> I would love to know if people are interested because I'm interested. So it's, <laughs> it's, it's absolutely my favorite thing to do. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. My favorite thing to do to just offer that permission and, and a little bit of guidance because people do knock up against themselves while they're doing it. And, and the reason I can do it is because I've been through it. Mm -hmm. So I, yeah, I love doing that. We're spiraling back to storytelling because Yay! now I'm hearing that you're being the person that you needed in that moment. Mm. And I'm coming from you beginner you showing up at this storyteller it's not even beginner you because you've been doing it all along it's yeah. you feeling like a beginner yes. what i do for folks in that is the same thing that mo did for me exactly. at the storytelling festival yes and that alone having your presence in the room i i felt comforted listening to that because to have somebody just tell you like hey i didn't know what i was doing either and that's okay and you don't need to know and it doesn't need to be a work of art and it doesn't you know mistake is okay turn it into a bird like exactly <laughs> having an outside source to quiet the thoughts that start in my brain i remember the first time i ever tried watercolor i had this beautiful vision in my brain of the universe coming out of this woman's head and <laughs> oh, i was that's cool. so it started out really cool and then it ended up as marge simpson <laughs> because i did the <laughs> Blue and it ended up too straight and 
I, I st- it was a great, you know, experience and learning do you still how to have use it. I do. And it's funny because I tried to find it like a month or two ago when I brought it up to my husband and I was like, do you remember the Marge Simpson painting? Oh my God. Please I'll post find it. that. I will. I'll try to find it. We're potentially it moving soon. So I'll be going through uh, lots of our stuff. But yeah, I, I remember mentally keeping Marge Simpson because I was like, one day I'll appreciate this. Right on. <laughs> right on. But and you having your presence in the room in a time like that, like, I don't know, I could see it just changing the energy and changing mm-hmm. the like narrative that's beginning to form in my brain. Like even if it ended up being Marge Simpson, having your light, funny energy of being like, how yeah. can we lean into this? Right, exactly. <laughs> it's exactly what how I was thinking. How can we make it more des- Margie? <laughs> as you were describing it, I was like, so it's Marge Simpson. That woman has a lot of wisdom in her beehive. Yeah. Let's maybe go with it. Maybe she's got the, maybe that's what the whole point of her blue hair was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Mind blown. We figured it out. (laughs) See, together we can do anything. Right? Okay, so I know part of you using your voice and something that I really admire and I'm seeing just come up again and again in this conversation is using it as a way to help others. Hmm. And I would love to hear more about that, the communities that you're drawn to helping and why, why you feel so passionate about that. There's a lot of different communities that I'm drawn to. Obviously women, my second season was Project I'm Speaking, which was all about amplifying the voices of women because I am a woman. And what's happening now, because the podcast is so personal, I'm getting older. I'm closer to 60 than I am to 50. And I, uh, I'm going through it. I'm going through what happens when your looks, quote unquote, start to fade and you get older in this culture. There's this, you know, idea that men get more distinguished and and women just become more irrelevant, like the little old lady with her purse and as opposed to the distinguished gentleman with his cane and his pipe and his silver fox hair. Exactly. So what I am leaning into and what I'm really rooted in right now for a number of reasons, but a lot of it is that is uh, amplifying the voices of elder women, working with elder women. And I'm producing my next series for season three, and it's going to be called Sages, because what I have found in laying the groundwork for this series is that women don't value their stories. Mm-hmm. They just don't. And yeah, they just don't think that their stories are important. That I relate to and also makes me very sad, you know, Mm -hmm. because when you take yourself out of the equation and you just think about these women and the generations before them and the generations after them with no storytelling, with no voices, with no truths being spoken, how are lessons really being passed down? How Mm -hmm. are wisdoms being passed down? How is change able to happen? It's not as efficiently as it maybe could with Mm -hmm. all of these truths floating out in the world. And I know it's hard for me because my mom wasn't really in the equation. Um, Mm. But with my grandmother who kind of helped raise me, after she passed, there were so many questions I had. I became a mother right around that time. So I didn't Mm. know what to ask without being in that situation. Mm -hmm. And I just wished that we had had much more time sitting down and hearing stories. I heard lots of her stories, but you apply them to the parts of your life that apply at the moment. And Mm -hmm. yes, that makes me sad to think that 
you know, generational traumas are being passed down and there's this healing in the stories. There's healing in the words and the truth and all of these women who feel there isn't value, they have the value of healing. Mm -hmm. And yeah, that just makes me really sad. I'm glad that you brought that up. That is a really important, profound focus. And I can relate to how they're feeling and, and what they're doing because we do as women, well, one of our things in general is don't take up space, yes. right? Like that's one of our things in general. But then as we get older, it's, you know, we fade even more and more into the background. And what's really beautiful about the stories I'm collecting and the stories I've collected so far is once they hear them back after I record them and they hear them back, there's something about that distance that they they kind of bloom and they hear it. They hear that. the importance of it. I hope that people hearing this can go to your podcast and can relate because I know even just your most recent one that we were talking, well, maybe not your most recent, but Ezzy Spencer, Dr. Ezzy Spencer, mm -hmm. there were pieces in there that I was able to relate to and thoughts that I hadn't given a voice or hadn't given space to voice and mm -hmm. lean into. Mm -hmm. I also think that when it comes to emotions, that's something that gets suppressed with those stories not being passed down. And it mm -hmm. also, while it's being suppressed, is building up at the same time. And that's part of the generational trauma. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You just made me think, this is a tangent, but um, there's a three-part series as part of Project I'm Speaking. I don't know if you've listened to it, but it was it's a woman named Barbara McAfee who talks about- I think I re did. Reclaiming your voice. And she uses five elements to describe the different textures of our voice. Yes and how we can reclaim our voice. And I really, I really love that, that series too, just because she blew my mind with, you know, the, the parts of my voice that I don't necessarily bring forward and how, how healing it is to use your voice. Mm -hmm. I will make sure to link that episode in the show notes because I think that was part of what stemmed me wanting to talk to you about this. I mean, the whole mm. project I'm speaking, you've been on my radar for storytelling and truth telling. Mm -hmm. And you were a guest. Yes, since day <laughs> one. I mean, but that episode, I think I listened to it during my social media and podcast break and mm. I started taking notes. That's where some of these questions came up. So I will definitely be linking that in the show notes because it inspired this conversation. And I think mm -hmm. there's a lot of value in that. I know we kind of spoke a little bit about this earlier in the episode, kind of advice that you would give to yourself or somebody else, but that was more about imposter syndrome. Mm -hmm. I would love for you to speak to the younger version of yourself or to younger women out there, anybody who identifies that way, who is trying to lean into their feminism. It's a really complicated and complex and sometimes uncomfortable Mm -hmm. thing to lean into. So I would love to hear what kind of advice or encouragement you have for somebody beginning that. I mean, we need you. We need you we and do. you matter. That's that's like the biggest, like we need you, you matter and we need each other. Mm -hmm. And the time is now. Mm -hmm. The time is now. I get that it's scary. I get that, that the patriarchy is oppressive. It's designed we, to make you feel that way. <laughs> And we don't, but we don't have to do it alone. You don't have to do it alone. You don't have to do it alone. And what I would tell my younger self is that other women are not your competition. You do not have to compete with other women. They are, they're your salvation. They're your salvation. They really are. 
It's the patriarchy that tells you that you have to compete for men, mostly for looks for like, oh, and the other thing I would say, and this is kind of a Gen X thing, but like, please stop taking pictures of your, not taking pictures of yourself, but like the filters and like, if you have to get off social media to stop obsessing about the way you look, please do that. Cause I am still working through how to not obsess about the way I look. Yes. But as I get older, it's kind of like, I don't know, this is one of the things that I'm exploring with the Sages series. I just, I really want to get beyond this because mm -hmm. this self-objectification is, I believe, designed by the patriarchy to keep us down. Because if we are so concerned about the way we look, and so, I mean, think about your routine versus your partner's routine. If you are married or just in, in a heteronormative relationship, look at the differences between what a man does to get ready and what a woman does to get ready, mm -hmm. right? Like there's the shower with the loofah and the exfoliator and the shampoo and the conditioner and the leave-in conditioner. And that's before you even get out of the shower. Mm -hmm. I have you know? five products immediately out of the shower. <laughs> so, I mean, the whole thing and how much does that stuff cost? Yes. What do we have to pay for all of this mm -hmm. shit? Excuse and what is me. it compared to male marketed product? Yeah. And it just, and, the, and it goes on and on and on. And I'm not against feeling pretty. I like feeling pretty myself, but checking the motive, you know, why, why? Well, because I want my skin to be smooth. Cool. Mm -hmm. That's a good reason. Because I want my skin to be smooth when somebody touches it, that I kind of have to check myself. Who am I doing this for? Mm -hmm. You know? <laughs> this was the perfect introduction to me recording again. Thank you for- oh. I'm so glad that really meant a lot. <laughs> You're so welcome. I'm so glad. I'm so glad. Like I said in my text, just even being the person that got to the other side of it so mm -hmm. that you know it's possible to get to the other side of it gives what I went through meaning. It makes it doesn't make it okay, but it makes it meaningful. Yeah. To have somebody just say, I had that happen and I've experienced that and look at me now. And for me to be able to see you winning a storytelling contest and having these beautiful projects that you're working on and all of the different communities and people, you are able to give a platform or even just a little boost for voices. It, it helps me see that it's possible for me too. Good. So thank you. Good. You're welcome. You're welcome. I'm so excited about your Sages series because I think that hearing your story through somebody else's mouth and, you know, the facts are going to be different, but the meaning and the purpose and the pain and the lessons are, mm -hmm. are still there. And to hear somebody else speak into something that I couldn't or didn't know how, or even just give it a different narrative that mm -hmm. alone is so powerful in the series that you're doing and storytelling alone is it gives somebody a chance to give their experience a new narrative too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm super excited. I hope you're just as inspired to hear other women's stories and truths because the impact of that is beyond words. It can help guide you, empower you, or offer that little bit of comfort that you need. And when you're ready to share your own truth, Recognize that it's not only valued, but essential in this world. Know that the impact of you doing so when you feel safe and ready goes beyond words as well. Even if you never get to witness the impact or receive feedback after, that impact is real, I promise. Even if it's just resonating within yourself, a liberating and empowering acknowledgement of the importance of speaking and being heard. 
If you're seeking feedback, here it is. I'm proud of you for speaking your truth, however much of it you've shared. Applaud yourself for creating space to express and explore your truth and worthiness. You're doing a great job. I know this. I know this because I poured all of my good intentions, healing, and growth into this episode. And Stacy did too. So you being here, having been attracted to this conversation, tells me that you're already on the right track. And if you wanted to return that positive feedback, I'd be oh so honored to hear it. You can leave a comment feedback if you're watching this on YouTube or Spotify, or you can head to the Root and Rise podcast wherever you're listening to it right now and leave me some love. Thank you again for being here with me today. It's always an honor to end up in the same space as you. I'm looking forward to seeing you in the next episode.